God's design for marriage is found in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Welcome to By Design from American Family Radio. This is Bert Harper, and it's my privilege to be the host of By Design today. And we're going to look at some nostalgia a little bit. Going back and, you know, when you get close to my age, you remember when. And uh, what I remember the most is the support the family had when I was growing up in the 50s and early 60s. It seemed like my community, uh, everybody was on board for the things that would support the family. Uh, The church was always there. The school, man, we learned about Dick, Jane, and Sally, and Mom and Dad, and and so many of the great stories in the history of America. Uh, Even on television, on entertainment, I grew up watching Leave it to Beaver and the Andy Griffith Show. And uh, those, that's where you had a family, a mom and dad in a family with the Cleavers. And then with Andy Griffith, Andy Taylor, he was a single dad, but man, he was excited about being the father of Opie. And so we had a lot of support. We don't have that much support today. And that's why by design is so important that you go back and you see what God intended for family and uh, God designed it that way. And if you ever buy anything, you'll get an owner's manual. And usually, real close to the front in the owner's manual, it will say, for best operating results. Well, that is the way the Bible is concerning the family. For best operating results, you have certain things, a mom and a dad. But all things are not perfect. And we, we don't want to exclude that. And we want to talk some about that and how the church and individual believers can help those families that are hurting because some things has happened into it. They're, they're not the one that is idea what the family should be. So we want to look at that today, and I pray it'll be a blessing again to you. The relationship between the church and the family, it should be strong. It was strong in the New Testament, so strong. Matter of fact, we find that the the church met in many homes in the first century. Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 5. Paul writes and says to the Romans, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. And then in verse 5 it says, Likewise, greet the church that meets in their home. Now, that's where they were meeting. It's sort of like a small group today. It wasn't a mega church. It was a small group. and But they were meeting, and that's where the church met. In Colossians, it talks about the brothers that are in Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And then even in the little book of Philemon, uh, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes to Philemon, our beloved friend and the church that is in your house. So the church and the family, they should complement one another. And when I say complement, complete one another, help one another, strengthen one another. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen. You know, the church is not perfect. Now, the idea was perfect, and we will be perfect in Christ one day when we are in heaven as followers of Christ as we have come into his presence. Can I also say neither family is perfect. 
you've never come from a, quote, perfect family. Uh, there were flaws. There were things that should have been better uh, and could have been better if mom and dad or the children had done what they needed to do. When I look at my own family that I grew up in, I know and I look back and I see some things as a child, man, I should have not done that. And I can see my mom and dad, although they're in glory now, they're, they've been gone from this earth into heaven for quite some time. And I remember them with great fond memories, but no, they weren't perfect. And then I come along and I sure are not perfect at all. And uh, our three sons that we raised, they will remember that as well. So we live in an imperfect world, but we have a perfect Savior. And that is what we lean upon. We lean upon that relationship with him. Uh, We lean upon knowing that he is doing a work in us. I I do love Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it under the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to complete that work, and he completes us. And if you're listening to this today and you've never experienced that relationship with Jesus, uh, that means there's some things lacking in your life. There's a divine vacuum that can only be filled by God. Can I tell you, family won't fill it. As great as the family is, a husband, a wife, children, and let me say grandchildren for sure, uh, that vacuum can never be filled, even by them, as great as they are. It only can be filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're searching for something, and if it's empty, you're looking to fill it. And only Christ can fill that divine vacuum that's in your heart and in your life. And in this imperfect world, God has chosen to reveal his Son through imperfect people. <laughs> that means the church. That means family. You know, uh, I always heard someone say, if you find the perfect church, Bert, don't you join it. You would mess it up. Well, I agree with that fully, and uh, I I know that you would as well. But also the perfect family. Now, there's great families. There's good families, but not perfection. We struggle, and uh, it's that's the way it is. We're fellow strugglers on this pilgrimage uh, following Christ. Now, it's an adventure that is worth following. Uh, it's a relationship worth having, and it's one that we love to share and say, won't you join us? Come to Christ and be a part of his family. Be a part of what he is doing in this imperfect world. Well, let me share these thoughts with you today concerning some scriptures that we're looking at. One is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It's very plain. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is God's idea. This is what God had in mind, a man and woman for life. That's God's plan. Jesus talked about it in the New Testament. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Jesus talked about the man and woman relationship. Uh, I never thought we would have to explain that's really what marriage is, but in the day in we live, we have to say real marriage, biblical marriage, is a man and a woman. And uh, the others are, we hear about fake news, the others are fake marriage. They're really not real. It's only in Christ. So we, 
as a family and as a church, need to hold up the idea. We need to say this is what God's standard is. God's standard is a man and a woman for life. Now, you say, that's kind of harsh. Well, uh, I I played basketball in high school, and uh, I could not dunk it. Now, I had some friends that were taller than me who could jump higher than me, and they could dunk the ball when the goal was at 10 feet. Was that unfair? Should they have lowered the goal so I could have dunked it? Maybe it eight feet. Now, I I believe I could have gotten it nine and a half. But anyway, I could not dunk it at 10 feet. Well, you don't lower the standard just because of some. You may need to give them a helping hand. You may need to give them a leg up, quote, but the standard must be maintained. And so the church today needs to lift up the standard. We don't need to diminish it We just to make people feel more comfortable. We can make them feel okay by being where they are and what God is doing in their life, but by not lessening the standard. And so the Bible is written to convey God's love for the world. He loves the world. And, and what I mean, the people in the world, everybody on every continent, on, in every country, in every area. God loves you. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's our God. That's how much he cares for you. The love that is demonstrated between a husband and wife that God talked about in Genesis 2 and Jesus would talk about in the Gospels is one that demonstrates his love for the church or individuals that have come to Christ and are following him. And the children that God gives a man and a woman, that comes to the discipline and the encouragement and the challenge that we have. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's the way God designed it. He told Adam and Eve to multiply in, and put people upon the earth, and they did that, and others have done that. And so a home operates best with one man and one woman for life. That way you don't have a spare. You're not looking at someone having to make arrangements with others. It's a man and woman. That's the idea. Let's not drop it, but let's not also deny that not everybody meets that standard, and God looks at that, and he says, there needs to be something done. We'll talk about that. Don't give up on that. If you're single and you're thinking, oh, this message is not for me, yes, it is. It is. God's got a lot to say. A home operates best with a father that is loving and caring, a mother who is nurturing and caring and and, and helping the husband and the husband helping the wife. This is God's design, God's perfect design. And it was by design that this would occur. Have you ever figured this out? Anything that has a design has to have a designer. Well, marriage is a design and it was God's idea. It was God, the architect. It was God, the builder. Psalm 127 talks about unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The Lord is the builder. He's the architect. He's the maintainer. We need to come to him and understand that he has truth. The church today must never drop the ball in telling the truth concerning Jesus Christ, telling the truth for salvation, telling the truth for family, for marriage. We speak the truth, but we do it in love. We don't do it harshly and talk about everything. And so that is wrong, but we talk about what could be right as well. 
So what does the church do? It holds up the standard for a marriage, but it also ministers to those who are hurting because it has not worked out the way they had hoped or the way it should have. Genesis chapter 21 has the idea of when it got out of whack. You remember a man called Abraham, and uh, he had a wife named Sarah. Well, they didn't have any children, and God told Abraham he was going to be a great nation, but no children. And so Sarah came up with a bright idea that Hagar, her handmaid, could have a child by Abraham, and she would accept it as being hers. Well, that was not God's idea. That was Sarah's idea. And so Hagar had a son named Ishmael. Now, Abraham loved Ishmael, but he wasn't the son of promise. That would come later with someone named Isaac as as Sarah would conceive and bear a child, even in her own age when everybody said, no way. But there was a way because it was God. And in chapter 21 of Genesis, uh, let me just say Sarah got jealous of Hagar and got jealous of Ishmael. But God didn't just discard him. He took Hagar aside and told her that he cared for her and loved her. And he was going to make Ishmael, her offspring, a great nation as well. Now, again, we are still having those difficulties in our world today because of Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah. We understand that. But let me just share with you, it demonstrates God's love for those who are hurting. Hagar Hagar was hurting, and it wasn't necessarily her fault. It wasn't. She was uh, a servant, and, and she succumbed to, to what Abraham and Sarah said and wanted. Ishmael was the child that was born to that, and now he was hurting and suffering. Everything's not perfect in this fallen world. It's a fallen world. We make mistakes. We go the wrong way. Death and divorce are realities. They've taken a toll on the families. And some of you who are listening, you know that firsthand. You know how hard it is. No wonder God says he hates divorce. Not the person that is divorced, but he hates what divorce does, separates. It causes conflict so many times. Death and divorce have taken its toll. And the reality that the church faces is ministering to hurting people. We don't ignore them. We don't say, oh, go away. We don't say, well, if you'd have only done this. Well, I, I just want to tell you, we take them where they are. We don't drop our standard and saying, okay, uh, marriage is not what it should be, so we're going to drop it down. No, we hold it up, but at the same time, we help. We minister. We serve. While we hold up the standard of the Bible for families, we also help the hurting. I hope you hear that. I want to repeat it. While the church holds up the standard of the Bible for families, the church also is called upon to help the hurting. Do you believe we can do that? I do. I believe we can do both. I believe with all my heart we need to do both. Jesus did. Jesus came from a family. He loved the family. But how many times he helped those who were hurting? The unwed mothers need loving care. The members who are recovering from divorce need our strength. Fathers who are raising their children without the help of a mother, man, they need that encouragement. And the mothers who are trying to make it without a father, how many times they need the help of the church. We have grandparents that are raising those grandchildren as children. 
And even in their old age, they're having to do things that they just don't have the energy for that they once had. That is the hurting that we're talking about, and they're all around us. Some of them have chosen not to be at church because they feel, feel like a fifth will. That's when churches should come along and do whatever they can to let them know that we care. We want to minister to them. Some of these people have special needs children, or, and, and the church should come along and say, we have room. You're not just welcome here. You're wanted here. You know, I've heard it said, and you got to take it the right way. It is true. The church is not a museum for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. And in the hospital, you have those that are helping, those who are healing, and those who need the help. And then they benefit one another, and they encourage one another. And I'm praying that you're doing that. The church needs to be helpful. You're pastoring in a crazy world today if you're a pastor. If you're a Sunday school teacher, man, what a job you have. A small group leader, whatever you're doing, and you're a part of that. You're an extended care of the church. You're handing it out. You're helping. You're praying. You know, there's those that are being abused, and they come to church, and they hear the pastor preach concerning the family, and they hear the, the pastor talking about a loving father and a loving mother, a great husband or a good wife, and they're in an abusive situation, and they say, is there anything here for me? Yes, it's Jesus. He cares where you are. He cares what's going on in your life, and he desires those of us who have experienced his grace, who knows what it is for him to come and help us and, and strengthen us. He knows what it is to, to help them, and we should help them. We need to give that helping hand unto them. If they're neglected, we need to help. The church needs to come and be at the aid. What does the church have to do to help others? I think there's some things it says. Psalm 68, 5 says that God is a father to the fatherless. Isn't that awesome? There's always been the fatherless, those because of death, because of war. How many uh, soldiers have given their life and those children left by themselves? God can be that father to the fatherless. But we need to come along and demonstrate that and show that and let that Sunday school teacher that's got those boys in their class, they may have four or five boys in their class, and two of them come from fatherless homes. What an opportunity to take them fishing. What an opportunity to demonstrate the love of God to them. So in James 1.27, it says, you know what true religion is? Helping the widows and helping the fatherless, the orphans. That's what we need to be about. God has done his part. We need to do our part. But it also, a husband to the widow, a lot of widows that have lost their husbands and, and they're hurting beyond measure and the couples that they used to hang out with, now that spouse feels like, well, I don't fit in anywhere. Well, the opportunity there to be that person that includes them, even if it's in a group and whatever it might be, the opportunity to make them understand that hurting people have a place at God's table. They really do. The hurting that's hurting because of decisions they've made, hurting because of the decisions that others have made, hurting just because they live in a world that is fallen and has so many issues going on. 
and the church can be there, and the church can help. We can be a friend to the lonely. You know, aloneness was the first problem man ever had. You remember what it said in the book of Genesis? It's not good for man to be alone. And so loneliness can really creep in. It may be that person that's in the nursing home, and and they're hurting. What an opportunity for children and grand, your grandchildren to go with you, even during the time of, of difficulty of the pandemic and everything. If they can't go in, they can go to the window. They can send messages. They can make a difference, and you're teaching your children as ministries. That is by design. God did not just save us to leave us here to, man, to manage as best we can. He saved us and left us here upon earth to serve others. And that is the highest calling in God's economy. Isn't that great? A servant of all. And that's exactly what we're to be, even in our marriage, that the husband serves the wife. The wife serves the husband in a gracious way, not in demanding, but because of love. So the church, it can offer counseling. Praise the Lord for those that do. They offer grief recovery for those who have lost their loved ones. And it makes a difference. It really does. But what about the other part that I said I was going to get to, singleness versus marriage? Let me just say this. The highest pursuit of a single person is not to be married. The, the highest pursuit of a single person is to know and follow God. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, kind of put a premium on singleness. <laughs> now, I, I find that amazing, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he, he gives close to a whole chapter on that issue. Now, there's other issues involved, but it's mainly about singleness and letting God use you as a single person. We live in a day when a lot of times it seems like it's in conflict, singleness or marriage, and, and they're at odds with one another in the church. These things ought not to be. And so the church should and must promote marriage with a family, but at the same time, be a blessing to those who are single and help them become all that God wants them to do. Again, we can do both. We don't have to pick or choose. The church can do both, and we should. When a pastor, especially a lot happens this in May, and he preaches some sermons concerning the family, you know, Mother's Day and in June, Father's Day, and uh, it's a good time to talk about the family. A lot of people do that. Pastors do. And I understand that. And sometimes singles feel left out. I pray you would not feel left out. I pray you would enjoy the idea that God had, but also know that the hurting are important to him, that he cares for you. He has something for you. He desires that you know him in a way that even in marriage you uh, would not attain to that relationship that you can have with Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, first of all, there seems to be a gift for being single. In chapters 1, 8, and 26, verses, I should say, chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1, 8, and 26, it really talks about that. And it talks about there's two things that you need to have to be faithful in singleness. One is control self-control. Um, you need to have that and let God in, be a part of that in your life. Matter of fact, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? 
self-control. We need that as married individuals. We need that as single individuals to have this control and let God guide our lives in every area of our life, physical, mental, emotional. God is our guide. He's not just our guide. He's the one the Holy Spirit comes in, and he will lead you, and he will help you. The other that we need, not just control, but it starts with a C as well, and Paul talks about it, contentment. Be okay. Singleness is far more to be desired than marital misery. Why are so many people getting divorced? A lot of times it's not just to marry somebody else. A lot of times it's because they're miserable in their marriage. Now, again, I think you do your best to stay in the marriage that you're in. And uh, I understand there's abuse that you have to depart, get away. I understand there's abandonment where you have to say, no, I, I've got to do this. There's adultery with, that, that you haven't been able to deal with. I understand all that. But let contentment be a part of your life. Paul said, I've learned whatever condition I'm in, therewith I'll be content. He was talking about the issue of having money and not having money. He talked about being in jail and being out of jail, but he had learned contentment. And so whatever state you're in, learn that contentment. Now, what do the activities of being single? Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 7 as well. In verse 32, he says, for the person who is single, they have less stress. They don't have to be wondering about everybody else. Now, that's different if you're a single mom, a single dad, and you've got those children. But having no children and you're single because of death or or because of divorce, he says it's okay. Paul said, matter of fact, if you can, it's better to stay that way because you don't have the distraction, verse 35, of serving others, of, of having to deal with others and please them. You can please God and please God alone. What are the examples? Jesus was single. I think that's about as high an example as you could ever get. He was single. The Apostle Paul was single. Now, some people wonder, had he been married and his wife deserted him? We don't know all the things about Paul except that he was single while he was serving. And him being single made a great difference. You say, those are all men. Hey, what about Anna? We find her in Luke chapter 2. She was single, and she had been single for many years, waiting to see the Savior. And she had served and ministered there as a single person. In our day, in in our history, I should say, there's a man named David Brainerd. He was a missionary to the American Indian. What a difference he made as a single individual. He chose to do that. There's a lady named Lottie Moon who was a missionary over in China, who gave her life as a single person. She could have married. She chose to be single. She did that so she could serve the Lord with all of her heart. God's design is perfect. Whether you're married or whether you're single, whether you're hurting or whether everything's going smooth, God has made it right for you to trust Him, follow Him, do His will. So by design, God wants to have that relationship with you. I pray you would follow him and let him lead you and guide you in your life. Thank you for listening to By Design.